0: This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, the best in new inventory. Great pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee and a terrific service department that backs it all up. Every step of the way at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. Here's the pitch. Swing to drive to left field. High and deep toward the pole. It is a home run It hit the pole. The Red Sox walk it off and a grand slam by Pablo Reyes. Can you believe it? His first home run as a member of the Red Sox, and the Red Sox win it 6-2, a walk-off grand slam. Joe Castiglione with the call on the Red Sox radio network, as they won last night, snapped their losing streak, and beat the Royals 6-2. There had been a controversial check swing call that went the Red Sox way before that, which had it... Gone Kansas City's way, it would have uh, sent the game to extra innings. But it was a walk for Urias in the end based on the call, and Reyes then hit the grand slam. All right. So there you go. Was that the only thing you're upset about, though? So far, yeah. But like I said, the afternoon's still young. Yes. The NCAA denying a hardship waiver that would have allowed defensive tackle Daryl Jackson to play this season. He had his career at Maryland, went to Miami, transferred to Florida State, wanted to be closer to his mother. She has a medical condition. Um, don't know what that medical condition is. Up to, it would be up to him to release that. But... But he's been uh, been denied Then the staffer The recruiting staffer Who survived that January crash That killed Devin Willock And another recruiting staffer Filed a lawsuit Against the University's Athletic Association Along with Jalen Carter And her name is Victoria Torrey Bowles And she has been fired by Georgia because she refused to cooperate with an internal investigation into the crash. Oh, boy. Bowles was sitting in the back seat next to Willock, sustained serious injuries including lumbar and rib fractures, a spinal cord injury, and lacerations to the kidney and liver. She also sustained a closed head injury with neurological damage and severe eye pain. The lawsuit, which includes LaCroix's estate as an additional defendant, requests at least $171,595 in general damages, along with punitive damages. Georgia said this. Uh, applicable policies require university employees to cooperate with internal investigations over the course of several months Ms. Bowles was asked on numerous occasions to speak with our investigators to provide information and through her attorney she repeatedly refused to cooperate as a result we were ultimately left with no choice but to terminate her employment okay well if it gets to court the punitive damages could be high. How about that? All right. Uh, so we just had Tony Castricone on. I thought, you know, Tony is a terrific young broadcaster. He he replaced Bob Bob Rondo. When Bob retired Bob retired after 37 years I knew going into the Fiesta Bowl and Bob had his wife there with him And he came over and he was talking with Jack and me She's a big Steelers fan, Jack Ham fan So um, So we knew it was going to be Bob's last game um, And Tony is a terrific Terrific broadcaster he does a great job and you can hear the excitement in his voice about the move. You can hear the excitement in his voice about the team, but you can hear the excitement in his voice about the move to the Big Ten. Look, the bottom line is, I, I'm Oregon's president. I'm Washington's president. I'm Oregon's athletic director. And I'm Jennifer Cohen, the athletic director of Washington. Exactly what choice did I have here? In the end, you can sit there and you can talk about, hey, conference loyalty, kumbaya, the whole deal. Your job is to your university, your staff, your coaches, your student athletes, other employees. They come first. and what Washington and Oregon did is they found not only a lifeboat but they found one that's going to take them for decades and keep them keep the money flow coming in for decades because they ended up going to the Big 10 they've assured they've assured themselves of a financial future, which they were not going to get with the Pac-12. Again, when that TV contract, when they finally saw the details of it, it's one thing to hear, a lot of rumors, a lot of rumors, a lot of rumors, nothing. And then here, here it is, and there's no linear component, and the Apple deal is $23 million to start with. Which is eight point three million dollars lower than per school than what the Big 12's offering and getting, and of course it's another universe away from the Big Ten. Can't blame them. Again, my responsibility. Okay, so I'm sitting here at Penn State, right, and I'm and I'm Pat Kraft. My responsibility is to okay working for Neely Batuti my responsibility is to my staff my responsibility is to James Franklin Mike Rhodes and every other coach and every student athlete and staffer they come first the big ten comes after that well it's the same thing at Oregon and Washington each athletic department looked around and said, "Look, <laughs> like this is the this is what they basically said to the Pac-12, to George kleofkov help me, help you. No, it's give me something to work with, and I'll keep it together. Work, but they didn't come up with something that could keep them together. They they came up with something that." That forces them to fall further behind. And for proud programs like Oregon and Washington, that had to be one of those, like, loyalty can only go so far. They've got to be loyal to you, and they didn't come up with a package that would keep them competitive. We're going to talk to Tony Knopp about this on Tuesday. We would have had Tony this week, but he listed off five different Matt rants that he's upset about, and so you're suspended. Oh, my almighty! (laughs) Tony and his family are in Maui right now. He said, it's a six-hour time difference. I can make it work. I said, Tony, don't make it work. It's only a radio show, for goodness sakes. Enjoy your family. Have a great time. When you get back, we'll have you on. We're going to have him on Tuesday next week, okay? Tuesday at 2 o'clock next week. All right. It's like just a radio show. Come on. This is not like we gotta do something. We gotta come on. So in other words, say we have him on at two o'clock. That means he'd be up at eight eight in the morning in Maui. Come on. No. Enjoy Maui. All right? The show will be here next week. We're pretty confident of that. <laughs> uh <laughs> I know, my attitude drives you nuts, doesn't it? <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't have told him the same thing. Having been to Hawaii myself. Never been there. Always wanted to go. I mean, really, always have, that That's a, a destination for yeah, me. I want to go. And I know you've been there because you took your wife to Aloha Stadium. <laughs> yes, that was during our honeymoon, Yes. <laughs> Uh, Maybe driving by in the car. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) On my way over to maybe go to Pearl Harbor. Yeah. (laughs) We did do that, too. Yeah, but you stopped at the. I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It's your honeymoon for God's sakes. It's all right there off the H1, I believe it was called. Yeah, I know where it is. I mean, like I said, it's right near Pearl Harbor. But no. (laughs) You don't go up and let's take a tour. (laughs) You go to the beach. Do something. All right. So ESPN and the ACC. Uh, I want to talk about who has the rights to ACC football and basketball. Because whatever is coming out of somebody at Florida State, I'm sorry. It's not right. <laughs> I, they, and we're going to talk about that in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay. All right. So, who owns the rights to ACC games in the grant of rights? The ACC does. The ACC does. Do they have an agreement with ESPN to carry their games? Yes, they do. And guess who pays whom? ESPN pays the ACC to carry their football and basketball games. If the ACC did not own its rights, then how could they have possibly put together a deal with the CW to carry some of their games (laughs) because they have the rights to their games. (sighs) I think where the confusion comes in is the ACC network. Okay? The ACC network carries approximately 40 football games 150 men's and women's basketball games and about 250 of the Olympic sports along the way. And ESPN does own the ACC network. Okay, It's owned and operated by ESPN. And it's dedicated, obviously, to ACC games. They also have ACC Network Extra That's part of the streaming that they have as well. Uh, So that's where I think the confusion comes in about who owns it and who owns. But in the end, the ACC owns the rights. So, for example, let's say, let's take Florida State, the darling of the ACC. Maybe not so much lately. Florida State decides that's it, the heck with the rest of the world, we're leaving and we're going to the SEC. Okay, great. Well, they have a grant of rights. Every time Florida State plays a home game, the money would go to the ACC. (laughs) That's because of the grant of rights. They'd have to break it in court. Um, And I think that's where the confusion comes in about who owns what rights. Because Disney owns 80% of the ACC network and Hearst Communications owns 20%. Okay? In terms of owning it. But they have an agreement with the ACC to do all of this. At the same time, um, you know, and what this did was it replaced Raycom. And they operated out of Bristol they do have some staff in charlotte north carolina but i think that's where the confusion comes in and the because they because espn owns and operates the acc network um But the ACC owns the rights to their content. They still have to be paid by ESPN. In other words, these this August fifteenth date that's coming up a week from today about whether you're going to play in it or not, which is coming into play here, All right? You know, and this is essentially, I think, the same arrangement that the that they have with the SEC. You know, where they sat back and they said, hey, look, this is, you know, um, we have a network that carries almost everything else, right? And the SEC network, it's the same deal. 80% of it is owned by Disney, 20% by Hearst Communications. It's the same deal. So, is anybody out there thinking that? ESPN owns the grant of rights on SEC football and basketball? Anybody? Or do you think the SEC owns its rights? It's the same arrangement between the SEC and ESPN as it is with the ACC and ESPN. Same arrangement. No difference. So There's no difference in the ACC network and the SEC network in terms of who owns the networks and operates the networks. ESPN owns and operates both. But the ACC as an entity, they're the ones who retain the rights, and thus the grant of rights is with the conference and not with ESPN. And for some reason, I've had people, I had somebody talking to me yesterday about this. I said, what are you talking about? The ACC owns their own rights. You know, I said, Now they don't own and operate the ACC network. The SBN does, just like they do with the SEC. Again, how many of you think the SEC is not in charge of its own media rights? Of course you don't. It's the SEC. You You wouldn't even blink or think twice about it. Why do you think the ACC... Why would they not have the same deal? Of course they would. It's common sense. So, there have been a lot of tweets coming out from... I have a source. Oh, jeez, you have a source. All right. That's great. And I always love when I hear, like, whether it's a Stuart Mandel or an Adam Rittenberg or a Pete Thamel or a Heather Dinich or... Brett McMurphy at Dennis Dive. They're a little late to this. You want to know why? Because they're multi-sourcing people. They're not getting something from, hey, my buddy told me. Really? Oh, yeah, he's connected. Oh, he is. Oh, sure he is. Right. Wait, come on. As opposed to people who are multi-sourcing and getting it, you know, getting it done. In other words, when they put something out there, it isn't just from a source, Unless it comes right from the horse's mouth. It comes, like, for example, let's just say Jim Phillips directly says to Heather Denich, "Hey, blah, 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 you know. Well, at that point, you don't need to multi-source it. You got it from the person, from the decision-maker. Okay. But in other stuff, you have to multi-source it. And most of the stuff that's being put out there is not multi-sourced. It's, it's single-sourced. And you have to be leery of it. Uh... And could anybody have predicted that everything would have spiraled out of control in 24 hours? Now you sensed it was going to happen when they finally presented the deal and you could tell right away that the biggest power brokers that were remaining in the PAC 12 looked at the deal and went, you have to be kidding me. Where's the linear aspect? You have to be kidding me. Where, you know, we're only going to get 23 million base? We've got to get to 5 million subscribers to get the max? I mean, at that point, that's where people started looking for lifeboats, and they did it in a hurry. Exciting news for the suit, did you hear? I did not. The EA Sports game is approximately 10 to 11 months out from coming back for college football. Ah, there we go. He will be all over that. I can see him right now buying a tent because one has to camp out to get it. (laughs) Then we'll never be allowed to go back to the corner office to ask questions anymore. I always try to avoid it anyway, so it actually works in my favor. (laughs) Neil Kulong next half hour. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, It's 11 and 15, Novels Wharf online, sunburymotors.com. Time now to bring in the master of this half hour segment every week. It's like dealing with Picasso. No coolong, sir. Welcome.
1: Welcome is uh welcome is putting it mildly compared to the pride that I feel each and every time I get to be on the show.
0: Well also, said
1: that's uh you've outdone yourself. You're the Rembrandt of this, not me.
0: Hey. Well said, and you delivered the line exactly the way I wrote it for you. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here we are into training camp. Uh and I think the entire world now knows that you were to stay off the quarterback based on Aaron Rodgers uh, and his pinky toe there. Uh, so let's get to Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is a guy that gets his chance. They were safe with him last year. We talked about that last week. He's an older player. What do you what are your expectations? for him in year two, especially considering what appears to be a better cast around him?
1: Um, I I think the way we have to kind of frame the the particular conversation today is all of these things are true. He had a a rough start. Now, throw qualifiers out there. I'm I'm perfectly aware of the protection that he had, what many will say, the offensive coordinator and all that. I I get it. He's an NFL quarterback. Um, He was pretty objectively bad uh, through the the first half or so uh, of the appearances that he had last year. We saw a significant rise uh, over the last half up to the end. Now, those games weren't perfect. Keep that in mind. He still made mistakes. But I I could hear Mike Tomlin saying this because it's exactly the opinion he's going to have on the matter when the game counted, when it was, everything was on the line, uh, he played at his best. You know, I thought uh, last year, I, I think we talked about this, uh, whether it was the Baltimore game or the, the Las Vegas game, everything he did at the end of those games to win it, he did not do or he failed to do in the loss against the Dolphins in a very similar situation. So you saw uh, a, a very tangible amount of growth um for how he was able to manage the team, how he was able to read defenses, how he was able to make the right decision and go to where the ball should have gone. Now, you also have to add in the players around him, um, because of him and because of themselves and because of a coaching staff that didn't quit after a really bad start, um, they all improved as well. Protection got a lot better with the quarterback making better decisions. Uh, he didn't just sit there, lame duck in the pocket, the way that the guy that uh, Pickett replaced did. So sacks were down. He didn't throw as many interceptions, although he still threw a couple. He missed on a couple balls. Uh, he got better production out of his receivers. Uh, all these things came together. They had a running game, you know. And we didn't see a running game for for half the season. So you have to look at it like which of these versions uh, of the Steelers offense are we going to see right away? And that I think in turn is both going to determine who Kenny Pickett is and it's going to be because of Kenny Pickett. So it, it's it's a symbiotic thing. And I think they're going to enter this season with the most overall quarterback ability that they have had in the last couple of years. And that's not at all to, to compare Kenny Pickett to Ben Roethlisberger. But the last year of Ben Roethlisberger, he was a shell of himself. That was obvious to anybody. Ticket doesn't have those physical limitations. He's learned a lot more. He's processing things more more quickly and more smoothly than he did when he started. And because of that, the byproduct is the players around him are going to perform a lot better. That's going to help them build and expand things uh, and make them a much more difficult offense to defend. Now that doesn't mean they're going to put up, you know, 30 a game. I, You know, on average, I don't think they're going to do that. They might hit 30 once or twice, but... It's probably still a 24-point-a-game offense, optimistically 25. Um, that's probably really optimistic, in fact. But they're going to be able to smooth over the craters that their offense dug them into early in the season last year. And they might actually be able to start a, a season, first you know, five, six games, uh, playing much better than they have. And that, I think, is, is really the key. You look at them, they, they surged. Over the last couple of years, they finally got their stuff together at the end of each last season. If they had two, three wins that they could have had um, earlier in the season, they're in a much better position come playoff time. And they they might be uh, a, a bit tougher of a team to beat. And I think a lot of that has to do with Pickett and his ability to build on what he started and for the coaching staff to build on what they have now uh, with their offense that they have not had the last two seasons, at least one and a half season, call it that.
0: Is this a team based on its quarterback and running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, so forth, offensive line that can handle December? Because this would be a question that we'd ask without question about the Dolphins having to come up north, play the Bills, things like that. Is this Steeler team the kind of team that can has the potential to flourish when it's warm but also flourish when it's cold?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think they built it to play in the cold, and I think it, going back to, to what I would said earlier, I think Mike Tomlin wants to do things a certain way from a 10,000-foot perspective. Um, it's not that he wants his quarterback to fail drive to drive, but he does want his quarterback playing at his absolute best. In, in in the last, say, two possessions in the fourth quarter. That isn't to say that you can't put the game away earlier than that, but Tomlin doesn't seem to want to coach like that. He doesn't call games like that. Um, he he It's almost as if he's giving enough respect to the opponent to say, I want to squeeze this down to one quarter. I want this to be competitive going into the fourth quarter. I don't want to turn the ball over. I don't want to give up too much. I want to control what I can control right away. And then we'll we'll have a race to the finish and see where we're at. Um, It's, In my opinion, it's an old-school philosophy. I don't know how well that really will serve in the NFL today. Um, But at the same time, if you have a defense that surrenders 17 points a game, I don't know how many games you're going to lose – so there, there's logic behind it. It's just you don't see teams giving up 17 points anymore. Uh, well, one game, yes, that that can happen. But over the course of a season, it, it's it's downright impossible. I mean, it, too much is favoring the offense. But all of that said, um, I think it's interesting what they're trying to. You know, they just drafted their first offensive tackle, and however long they traded up to get him. In fact, So it's kind of a double whammy for them. Clearly, they prioritize. Uh, bringing in a tackle, Uh, perhaps for now, but absolutely for the future. They've put capital into the offensive line. they signed two left guards this offseason. We've talked about that. I always thought that was interesting. It's almost as if they didn't know if they were going to get uh, uh, Ciamalu, so they had signed Nate Herbig prior to getting Ciamalu, so now they have two great guards, and only one of them is going to start a left guard. Um, They're they're emphasizing certain players, which kind of indicate, We're going to play a short game passing, quick game passing. We're going to run the ball. These are cold weather traits. You have a defense that they've they've sunk a lot of money into it. And if they can get everybody healthy and everybody playing consistently, they've got the best depth among front seven. I think anybody in the NFL, maybe San Francisco can, can make a claim to that, but Pittsburgh's on that level for sure. Uh, if they can get run out of every player that they have there, they're loaded. I mean, they've got some real talent there. Um, they're going to get pass rush. They're going to push pockets. They're going to make it hard to play short game against them. You're going to have to throw the ball over the top, and you're going to have to risk doing that in a five- to seven-step drop when T.J. Watton's coming after you. That's how they want to play. Um, I, I see the wisdom of what they're doing on defense. I think offensively yeah. it's kind of what they have to do. You know, I, I like George Pickens. I think he's an explosive player. But this isn't going to be a great vertical passing team. Um, they're consistent. They're, they're uh, chain stretchers, you know. Johnson uh, johnson's an excellent short field receiver he's excellent at getting open uh in the the short to intermediary depths he's not like a a blazer deep down the field. uh Pat Freimu is very similar to that he's a very reliable middle receiver who can get open in in short moments against you know mismatches uh He's not running the seam and, and beating safeties down the the width or the length of the field. They can control the ball. They can possess the ball. These these things are late season uh, attributes. I think that's kind of the way that they want to go. And I might be being too kind to suggest that you know Tomlin, it, it, the result of Tomlin's plan is they're starting off really slowly, and and taking control of of what they need to control toward the end of the year. They're just getting you know a little bit too late of a start into when they're really good that's kind of how they're built though, to be honest. I I think that that's why I say it's an excellent question. It really does seem like the plan is Mm -hmm. we're going to be able to naturally turn it up uh, when the temperature goes down, but they've got to get more wins than they've gotten early in the season. uh, If they want to be competitive because they've got a good division, you know, they can, they can go toe to toe with anybody in the division Um, three and three. I think is going to be a good division mark this year. And you're going to be playing three of those when the weather's cold. So, um, for pittsburgh's sake you you hope they can get off to to something of an early start and be able to do what they do at the end of the year and see a defense that that's poised to be uh certainly among the best in the league if not the best in the league uh, be able to 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 take a lot of the pressure off the offense
0: because nearly half the season now is going to be in cold weather with it ending in early january Uh, brian flores was a big story when he went to the steelers last year because of the lawsuit with the dolphins he's now the defensive coordinator with the Vikings. Has he been able to just coach and not be asked about this because he's a team and a couple of years removed from this? What has it been like in Minnesota, Brian Flores and media?
1: You know, while I, I wasn't at the press conference, but he did speak to the assembled media that was there. He got one question on the topic. He didn't provide much detail of anything. And he wasn't asked again. Um I think one it might just be a different media mentality there uh but more likely it's that the, the story kind of is where it is right now it's not really you know progressing forward as far as we know i'm sure we'll hear more about it uh as the year goes on but um i i know that he was uh desired by several teams uh to be a defensive coordinator i know pittsburgh wanted to keep him uh if he didn't like any of the options that he had but um ten thousand foot level i I think the story blows up in a hurry if you see the Vikings defense which was you know pretty pretty bad uh in yeah. most facets last year mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me if you see them come out of the gate uh really hot right away the question's gonna come up and i, I think you know he'll be made available to the media uh, weekly like like most coordinators are across the NFL they're gonna have to ask again <laughs> you know it's gonna have to come up again um and I you know for for my place i I think it's reasonable to ask i think it's something that that should be continued to ask because it's not as if the situation makes any more or less sense today uh than it did when he filed the lawsuit so i think he has an opportunity i don't know how good minnesota will be for where they are right now i don't think it's a one-year turnaround type of thing but hey we've seen weirder things happen you never know uh, if he goes in and the Vikings defense is, is back to what you kind of expect traditionally out of a Minnesota defense, uh, people are, you would think that he would get some attention as, as a head coaching candidate again. But the question is, you know, and this is what you kind of obligated to ask, uh, would you feel that this improves his stock in that regard? Will anybody hire him with that lawsuit outstanding me personally? I don't understand why it would matter. Um, Right. You want the guy or you don't, you know, lawsuit. What's the lawsuit going to do? You know, I'm not going to be any more of a more or less of a party to it. If I'm a team owner, if I hire him, you know, if if you might make the argument that, you know, you'd be less of it, but that's, you know, today isn't the time period of the suit. So it's, to me, it's a totally different situation. If you would want this guy to be your head coach, which, you know, I, I think he's certainly a worthy candidate, um, People would hire him now. I say that, but that's clearly not what's happened. Not just to Brian Flores, but to a lot of coaches. Um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that if if the process is fair and equal, uh, why is it that a white coach is getting hired 14 out of 15 times? There are plenty of yeah. black candidates that we've seen uh, who have accomplishment in the field on, on the same level as a white coach. Um, and I, I say this because, you know, my eyebrows kind of twitched up a little bit when Nathaniel Hackett got the job in Denver. And look what happened yeah, there. You can make the I legitimate agree. argument that Nathaniel Hackett's the worst coach in NFL history. It was a complete disaster with that guy. Um, he got the coordinator job right after he got fired the same way Flores did. Are you going to tell me Flores' track record as a head coach is the same as Nathaniel Hackett's? Daniel Hackett right now statistically has a better chance of getting another head coaching job than Brian Flores does. makes no sense, but you you can't argue that this has happened. So the the suit, um, where it sits today, while Flores probably would be best not to to dive into it, uh, it still has validity and still has merit, in my opinion. I don't know what the resolution is, but I think that's why it needs to be outstanding. They they can't – I don't think it's wise for – proponents of minority hiring in the NFL to say, well, we can just drop it and move on because you know we'll, we'll find something else to do. It, it needs to be addressed, and something needs to have, something real needs to yeah. happen. And I think that's, right. that's where the conversation today of uh, how active the Rooney Rule should be, what needs to happen with mm-hmm. this, um, because we're not really sure that that's working all that well.
0: Last year, Deshaun Watson did not get into a game until, what week, what was it, 11 last last year? And to say that he looked rusty the rest of the way would be an understatement. Um, and, I mean, not even Mighty Key could have saved that. But now he's got a, he's going to have a full training camp and a start. How interested are you in how the opening month of five weeks looks for Deshaun Watson to let, give us a hint as to what it can be?
1: Honestly, his career... As well as the careers of uh, Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry, anybody in the front office of the Cleveland Browns is going to largely depend on how well he starts this year. Because yep. you you were nice to say he was rusty is is that's nice. He looked <laughs> flat out awful. I'm I mean, God. honestly, I I felt <laughs> like you could have found a a, a third-round rookie quarterback performing better than he did. In fact, I'll I'll do this for you. Josh Dobbs signed by the Titans last year because their rookie third-round quarterback who needed to play because the starter was hurt was so bad. They took Dobbs off the street, practiced him for a week, and started him in what was essentially, to them, a playoff game. It was a regular season playoff game for him. Mm -hmm. Dobbs and Willis, in my opinion, to some degree, were on the same level as Deshaun Watson when he came back. And with all due respect to Josh Dobbs, not a long-term starting option in the NFL. I'm you know, i not going to shut the door on Malik Willis, but it, let's just say fairly that that didn't look very good last year uh, for him. Watson is paid, what, 30 times as much as those two guys combined not to mention everything else that's coming with them. For him to have performed the way he did, um, it, it, it was demoralizing for, for the team, for everything that they had to endure, everything that they had to put up with, to have Watson look as bad as he did. I would hope, and I'm not in a great position to say this, but I, I would hope Deshaun Watson recognizes that. And I hope that he worked particularly hard this offseason to come out of the gates playing like the player that he has been in his career will he i i don't know you know i don't know um i've said this often in in this spot you don't get better at at playing football by not playing football you're out as long as he was for him to have looked as bad as he did i don't know what he did with his time and if if he doesn't have it you know in, in terms of motivation after all of that um, I don't know where he's going to get it from, but in my opinion, that that's it's not going to be the, the top storyline. Certainly not with Aaron Rodgers doing something on a daily basis to make people turn their heads. But if, if Watson comes out flat in Week One, you're going to see all kinds of stuff in Cleveland, and none of those guys are going to survive the season if he doesn't play well because they're they're attached to him. There's nothing they can do. Uh, they can't even have a painful release of DJ uh, of Deshaun Watson for three years. So they can get rid of him then and have it be kinda of painful. Right now it'd be catastrophic. So they're they're hooked with him. Um, anybody that was involved with that decision is gonna go. They're they're gonna find somebody that can get him to, to play perhaps a little bit better than he did. And I'm not saying he needs to be an all pro, but he does need to, you know, perhaps outproduce Josh Dobbs on a consistent basis. And we didn't see that last year.
0: Well, you and I are linked together, and that's a good thing. So <laughs> we'll take the positives. You bet.
1: We want our $50 million a year.
0: That's exactly right. And dollar by dollar, literally, we're getting there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Here we go. We're excited.
0: Neil, thanks so much, my friend. Appreciate you.
1: Definitely. Thanks for having me.
0: We'll wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay. We're at the Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament tomorrow. Can't wait. Matt is set to go. He has been cranking out 300-yard drives anytime he wants. <laughs> Phenomenal. That's like saying Giancarlo Stanton's in a home run in the first inning. Yeah, the problem is after the fourth inning. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Hey, thanks to Tony for being on the show today along with Neil. And tomorrow we'll be at the Susquehanna Valley Country Club. Come on out and see us. Matt will be signing autographs anytime you want. I'm a man of the people. Yeah. You certainly are. You speak for many. We're listening. To-